We are talking with Pennsylvania Secretary of Education, Noe Ortega, about music and arts education on today's PMEA's Take Note podcast, presented by the Slippery Rock University Music Department. And we are thrilled to be joined today by Pennsylvania Secretary of Education, Noe Ortega, to talk about the state of education and arts education here in Pennsylvania. Well, Secretary Ortega, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me today and talk to uh, music educators across Pennsylvania. We really appreciate it. Mark, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So you've been in the role here for a while, you've been in the department for a while, um, but I, I'm just curious, first of all, for folks who may not know you, uh, give us the thumbnail sketch of your background of kind of, you know, what's your trajectory to how you got here as our uh, Secretary of Education? Certainly, and so uh, most of my work, Mark, has been in the area of post-secondary and higher education, particularly as it relates to improving access for folks. Uh, I started my career in Texas, made my way to Michigan and ultimately to Pennsylvania. And the one thing that each of those stops had in common is that it was about access for historically underrepresented folks. And then the importance of what it meant in terms of K through 12 preparation, early childhood, in order to give individuals the knowledge, tools, and skills needed to navigate a post-secondary pathway. I did spend about six or seven years Uh, working as an early childhood educator in Japan, teaching early language um, acquisition as well. And so a lot of the work that I've done builds on an understanding of how education can both broaden uh, awareness and understanding of young folks and then put them on a path for success. So in a nutshell, that's sort of what drove me into the position originally in Department of Education. I was the deputy secretary for higher education for three years before receiving this appointment. But that, I think, in a nutshell, speaks to what I usually say is the trajectory or the genesis of my path to the department. So uh, curious, then, anywhere along that pathway, uh, has arts and music played a role in that or even kind of in your developmental years? Has arts and music played a role in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, one of the things very few people know about me is uh, as early as I think I started in junior high school. I picked up a musical instrument. Uh, I'm a brass player. I played the trumpet uh, originally. And uh, it was something that really became uh, my extracurricular. I wasn't very gifted in the athletics. I did everything that I could to try to do something. And music is something I gravitated to. I mentioned that I grew up in Texas. In fact, I grew up in South Texas, right around the Corpus Christi area, very close to the Mexican border. And one of the things that was very popular at the time was mariachi music, which essentially uh, is a tradition that comes from Mexico. It's got some roots in Germany. And, uh, and I ended up joining a mariachi band probably in my junior high school to high school years. I played jazz band in high school as well. And then ultimately, uh, marching band. I was the drum major for our school really? uh, for about okay. two years. Yeah. And so, you know, it, I had every indication I music was a big part of my life. It was a part of my 
sisters as well who are younger than me. All of us went through that path. And I think it, it really gave me, for starters, kind of the discipline that I needed with regards to being motivated uh, in learning an extracurricular, but it also gave me the incentive. And I think we often forget that young people need an incentive for why they want to um, get overly involved in learning in the extracurricular. And that was me. That was, it, was a, it was a way of life. And if everything that I called out uh, in terms of the music involvement is uh, seasonal, right? So it, I never had a break. Right. <laughs> uh, I was always practicing. I was always in a marching band. There was always a competition that I was participating in. So it gave me all that skill. And I want to say self-esteem as well as I got older and, and really did fashion me as what eventually became sort of my leadership and approach to learning as well. So, you know, we, we think I'm a, I'm a big marching band person. So anyone that listens to PMA's podcast knows I talk about marching band all the time. Uh, and I taught marching band for a while. So I relate everything in life to marching band somehow. But, you know, that marching band is certainly a part of the culture in Pennsylvania and, and you know, that on Friday nights. But in Texas, it's really a part of the culture. Not, you know, not only with, with, the, with football, but, you know, the competition scene there is just totally embedded in that. So that is fascinating to me that you were part of that. It, it is, you know, and I, to this day, like those are some of the best memories that I remember from my high school days because it was our, and I think at some point somebody's going to listen to this and say, I can't believe you called our football team out, but they were not very good at all. In fact, people would come to the football game to see the marching band and it was family and friends. And so uh, in some cases, we kind of felt like while we only had three, four minutes <laughs> at the halftime show, it was sort of the moment for us and for those who were in attendance. So it, it just takes me back to all the important things of what I remember made education really something that stood out for me and that I wanted to be a part of all the time you know what was at risk for not doing well academically for someone like me was not being able to participate so that always served as the incentive right you didn't pass you wouldn't play and so that is uh i know it's probably a bit more behaviorist as opposed to improving cognitive but it worked right you know i i knew that if i could not perform well in one aspect i could jeopardize another aspect of what i really enjoyed so it made a big difference um, so let's, you know, building off of that a little bit, um, you know, from your perspective, what do you think then a, a quality music and arts program looks like in a school? And, and, you know, and then how do we really ensure equity there? Because the, the, the way we fund schools here is, you know, is up for debate daily in this state. And, and it is a big deal and it's important. Um, so so what, what's your take on what a program looks like and, and how do we make it equitable? Yeah. And so, you know, I think that uh, the part that I later in life became more aware of that I wasn't aware of when I was going through the process, I didn't think about the learning and the development that was occurring while learning something like music. And um, but there is a background to every sheet of music that came before us, right? There was an understanding if you really spent some time on the development of a certain composer, the era in which it came into, right? And often we forget that some of the things that we were engaging with as performers and music were things that at the time were the pop culture. We see pop culture very differently now, right? We attribute it to say, rock bands, et cetera. 
But these things were progressive <laughs> statements being made by musicians. And whether it was something that was improvisational, like jazz at the time, or something that was a bit more scripted and was building on uh, previous uh, approaches to the development of music, these things are really important lessons. And when you get an understanding of the context, when you realize I'm engaging in something that for a moment represented the influences that were coming because of war, because of recession, you end up taking an interest on wanting to understand more what's happening there, right? I also think it's a way to draw on what is unfamiliar to us in terms of a Western culture. There's a lot of influences that go into music, whether it's Eastern or whether it's other things, right? Like I remember the first time discovering the sitar and understanding how it was engaged in other music. And you become obsessed by really trying to figure out how can I broaden what I know is my musical orientation and then engage it with something else. And you see a lot of folks who become very talented want to learn how they could apply what they've learned with one instrument across other areas. And much like in the way that we have language development, when you understand the patterns that occur across, you then become more aware of and, and your cognition improves tremendously because you can begin to switch across and make translatable things. And I feel like it's a fundamental skill. So I think in those areas, I see a quality music program being integrated into the learning that's happening in history, <laughs> that's happening in government, and then uh, is being informed by what comes out as the sound of a particular era and a time. And likewise, you end up understanding what the uh, lived experience are of other individuals who are so removed from where we grew up, but their music is informing and their experience on how we make sense of the things before us. So those are sort of two simple ideas that I think are really important to integrate. You know, and to your point, we're seeing, we're living that right now as we're watching what's happening in Ukraine. You, you know, in, in our circles, we're seeing so much of the Ukrainian national anthem being performed hmm. at, a, at a concert or some folk songs. And even look to pop culture. A few weeks ago, Saturday Night Live opens up instead of a skit they open up with the Ukrainian choir of New York's, you know? So, I mean, that you're, you're, you're absolutely spot on with that point. And I think when people end up trying to pay attention to this and what you describe is sort of the sophisticated integration of promoting a narrative in a way that's not so in your face, that that makes people curious and you wanna figure out how can I do that? How can we as a department of, of education integrate certain modes and themes into the ideas that we're talking about at the time? And it really does represent just another body of knowledge that you can draw on that attracts a new audience to the message that you're trying to put out there. So young folks have an opportunity to really become sophisticated about how they think about the integration of music and music culture into what they're trying to achieve. And I feel like it has implications in the marketing world, implications in sort of like the uh, uh, social media world. Like it's just so much there that is really impressive. And it's just another tool for folks to build on. And we don't talk about music education that way. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and so maybe there are these pockets of issues happening as they arise where a music educator can say, okay, this is a, a place where I can. I can start doing that because um, it, it's baby steps. 
mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I think it's fair to say. So um, let's move to another topic. Uh, you know, we've lived through a crazy couple of years here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we while we're, we might be at the end of it, we're still, who knows, right, what yeah. tomorrow brings. Um, and we're, we're then recovering or, or dealing with what's happened in the past few years. Um, and it's been really hard on music and arts programs because how do you teach a kid, uh, how do you start a kid playing the clarinet or the, or the trumpet right. over Zoom? That's complicated. Now, it's been done, um, mm -hmm. but then that, what, what happens there is maybe not as many students start in fourth grade band mm -hmm. because it, you know, and so that's a ripple effect down the yeah. line. Um, and every school is going to, is going to handle that differently, but, um, you know, music and arts have, have, I, I think, uh, seen a raised level of importance, uh, mm -hmm. as folks have realized how important it was during the pandemic. Um, but how do you see their role as, you know, coming out of the pandemic here? You know, wh where, where yeah. do music and arts fit in, uh, in a school that is trying to catch up on everything else? Right. From the past couple of years. Yeah, you know, and I, and I think that uh, for me, the lesson that I've paid most attention to during the pandemic is how is somebody drawn in to a particular artifact or uh, archetype or, or lesson even, right, or a new body of knowledge. And uh, we became more sophisticated in understanding and becoming more familiar with the remote environment. And I think it opened us up to looking in places that we normally wouldn't have looked for, for some kind of new discovery or something that would just pique our interest, right? And so the world was drawn to a remote activity. I remember listening to a podcast where they talked about... Uh, musicians and artists looking for ways to continue to engage meaningfully with their craft. And they were trying to create a community globally. And so they began sort of pairing up. And uh, I don't know if you tried it, but there was a few times early on where we tried to orchestrate things across various, and it was difficult, right? There were just loops that were happening. It was hard, but people became increasingly sophisticated. I remember when the cast of Hamilton puts out that video and they're you know, walking through certain things and they made it look really easy. And for those people who like me made the mistake of thinking it was easy, you <laughs> learned very quickly. That was not an easy accomplishment. It took a really good integration, but I think more and more folks began to were drawn to that. And in the process, they made new discovery, new ways to produce sound, new ways to produce music. And I think we're only beginning to discover what folks drew on as a new talent to integrate into their music, right? And I feel like whatever draws you in, for me, it was the mariachi music or the jazz composers that I had listened to. That was my draw into the field. And I think we're going to see more people drawn in and they're going to push the boundaries of music. They're not going to accept your traditional um, uh, sound that's produced by what you would see as introductory instrumentation, <laughs> And they're going to ask, and they're going to demand of our educators to think outside of that. And I think when we can do that, when we can integrate what's new in terms of knowledge with the traditional, because I still think that in the traditional sense, there are some fundamentals that you've got to learn in anything that you study. And music is no exception. And then it gives you the foundation to broaden, but to still draw on where something came from, right? I'm a big 
I'm a big proponent of historical antecedents for anything that anyone studies. And I think that's what's interesting to me when we come out of the pandemic, what new sounds and approaches are going to emerge. And I'm pretty excited because every single time, particularly in the arts, and music is certainly an area, some things really emerge that end up drawing and putting a stamp on what the 21st century is going to look like, right? Because this is technically, and it's, it's odd to think about it, this is the classical period of the 21st century, right? In 70 years, this is what people will look at as, oh, that's classical music, which is shocking to me, right? Because we feel like, oh, no, it's it's certainly more progressed than that, but that's exactly what we're producing, right? So, I, you know, to your point, our, our, our annual conference is coming up here in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, we have this thing called the innovation stage. Mm -hmm. And, and we're, we're so excited to see because it's going to be a lot of those things that, that forced music educators to innovate here in the last few years because it's, maybe it's a smaller ensemble. Maybe there is more of an electronic component. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, we're still going to have the traditional band and orchestra groups there, but it's, uh, to your point, it is, it's uh, recognizing that it's okay to change a little bit. And in fact, we kind of have to do that. Um, so uh, talking pandemic as well, let's move on to the other, uh, I guess, kind of one of the biggest things in education here that happened during the pandemic was a lot of money came yeah. into education from the federal government uh, through the, the these ESSER funds. And there were three rounds of it. And uh, we, won't, we won't go into those details here. But, um, you know, this is a once in a generation type of money uh, coming in. You know, if you go back several years ago when ESSA was passed and, and you know, we're, we're big fans and proponents of Title IV. And I was saying, my gosh, there's a new federal funding stream. I'm never going to get to say that again in my life, right? <laughs> in this title, for, it's amazing. And then, then ESSER comes along. I mean, this, this completely blows that idea out of the water. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is only a short-term piece, but, um, you know, we really want to try to encourage uh, music educators, arts educators to take advantage of this because it is it's designed to be beneficial for students. And I think we're at a place now where districts have said, okay, here's what our plans are. They've submitted it to PDE. And now it's incumbent on those teachers to say, okay, what is the plan in my LEA? And how, how do I get involved there? Right. So I, I'm curious for what your perspective is from, from the department side on what you've seen maybe and, and kind of maybe some thoughts for those folks who want to access that money. Happy to do so. And I'll begin uh, by sort of just making, uh, interjecting my perspective on the infusion of federal dollars. I think it is unprecedented investment at the federal level uh, into states. Uh, I do think the impetus for the investment is something that we have to be mindful of because it's money that came to states because uh, of something tragic, right? A global pandemic. So there is a need for those expenditures. But I also think that I want us to make sure that we don't forget to share with others that this is what good investments in education look and feel like. They infuse an optimism into the educator world of possibilities that they never imagined before, which is a real shame because we should be investing at these levels all the time into education. It's the only way 
to create equity and access, right? And I think that's a very important note because this is how you inspire a new generation of folks to really engage meaningfully in education. And so I think that's a real important lesson from these infusion of dollars. Now, how for our music educators who are listening to our conversation, how can they uh, fit into sort of the plans that are being drawn out? There are some clear areas that were outlined for the usage of the ESSER dollars, for example. And there are things in the social emotional learning space, you know, things that make up for missed learning, uh, ways to engage young people after school. And so all those to me are buckets in which the music education has just excelled in the past. Um, it didn't take very much to have me stay beyond the school hours, other than knowing that I was going to engage into, in music, music learning, practice, et cetera. Uh, and it's what we need. You know, we need to figure out ways in which those programs are carved out and are used for learning and development for young folks. They were aspects of my musical engagement that tapped into the social emotional learning aspects of my development as well. And it's a very easy connection. It just needs to be flushed out in a way that aligns to what some of the schools are prioritizing. And it is another way to, and I mentioned this earlier on, it is another way to take knowledge and apply it, right? Often we talk about application as if it's only meant to be something that plays out in the workforce, for example. Oh, applied learning means this. I take these classes and then I produce a wooden object, <laughs> or I take these classes and I can weld, right? Or gourmet, et cetera. And I think we need to have the same mindset for what it means in the music education. I take these classes and then I'm engaging in a performance, but the performance is painting a portrait of some realities that now are applied to what I learned about, let's say, World War II. Uh, or, you know, if, to see something more recent about the Cold War, which seems to be replaying itself in some ways again. But uh, these are things that I think are really important. And for many folks, these also create permanent stamps of knowledge that they're never going to forget. I can recite things to you, and I don't know why I know them in such detail. And musical lyrics are a perfect example. Like they just come out of me as if I think one day if I lose my mind, I probably will still be singing songs because they are so crystallized in my thinking. Knowledge can work the same way if you pair it up with something that people relate to and music's a perfect example. So I think for our educators, making that connection on how their work is going to improve and help students make up for some of the learning loss, engage them in the after-school extended classroom learning experience and apply some of the lessons to give them the skills that we talk about that are important for post-secondary planning and the rest of their life. And the rest, I think, will then easily kind of be wedded into what comes out as plans from the schools. I think what the state needs to do, and I think educators in, in general, is we need to stop trying to lay claim over a universal framing around what education is and which one is going to be more useful, right? This is a return on investment type of conversation because we will privilege certain types of learning over others if we're not careful on how we frame it, right? And I think we've got to be very careful on when we talk about what um, 
earning over lifetime means because we don't educate simply for the possibility of earning wages. <laughs> There's so much more public, good, collaborative, collective outcomes that engage young people, like the civic engagement for folks in society. And we've got to remember there are aspects in the learning that do that. And I feel like one of the other things that will be important to elevate is this is music education is another way to promote altruism. And it comes in how you share your craft with other people, but you are engaging and helping other people want to gravitate to something that maybe draws them into their own learning and education and ultimately creativity as well. And I think those are things that I, as a secretary, need to talk about more frequently when I'm out publicly, but our educators need to also share uh, as well, right? I, I don't think that uh, interdisciplinary approaches to learning has caught on very quickly in our K through 12 world like it has in let's say higher education, but it has to. Interdisciplinary work is really the way to address mislearning. And I think when you couple music education with the arts and let's now say history or economics, that kind of blended learning has tremendous outcomes that can elevate people to catch up much more quickly. Well, let, let me add a talking point to your list then when you're out doing that. And what, you know, go back to ESSA as it was passed a few years ago. And, you know, when we lived under No Child Left Behind, we lived under core academic subjects. But mm -hmm. as we moved into ESSA, that term was changed to well-rounded. And mm -hmm. that phrase alone it speaks volumes because, you know, they added subjects that, you know, were, were well-rounded music now enumerated there, but, but phys ed and, you know, all these other subjects, but it's the point of well-rounded. So mm -hmm. we are, the design to your point is not to say, we're going to, you know, produce somebody that's going to graduate and go into a six-figure job or whatever it is, you know, we're, we're, we're producing citizens who, who are going to be valuable citizens in our country who can appreciate more than one thing. So agreed, agreed. I'll I add that to your talk. I think, I, and I think that's a reminder for all of us that these are the kinds of reframing we should do when we feel the narrative is moving into a certain direction, because these are not new terms that we're bringing up. These are terms that are already out in the ethos that we just need to once again appropriate into the language, right? And I think the idea of well-roundedness should work hand in hand with engaged citizen right. as well, right? Uh, like I think those are things that people should just not forget are really the learning outcomes. So as this, I'll just throw this one other thing in there is this was part of our discussion here about ESSER funds for the teachers out there that are saying, okay, I have some ideas and I took a lot of information away. You know, what, what these teachers need to do is find your federal programs coordinator in your school and go to them and have the conversation. What is our plan? What are our priorities? And then work with them to, to have that conversation. And, and, you know, we preach and I preach constantly. That person can be your best friend in so many ways, uh, not only with ESSER funds, but with that Title IV money, with that Title I money, as, as you understand what they do, they will understand what you do. And, and it's all about that relationship building. Um, and, and to your point as well, you know, understand what the history teacher does, understand what phys ed does. And, and then if we're all collaborating, that's so much better for the student. Yeah. And, and then build on the, the 
build on the advantages that are already embedded into the discipline of music education. And by that, I mean that there's one thing that music musicians and music educators are good at, and that's production. <laughs> and we know how to put together a production, how to bring people to an auditorium, and then how to create a meaningful experience in a short period of time. All we need to begin to do is to integrate other aspects on like how this is going to integrate with understanding history, understanding the last couple of years, and pair that up in ways that demonstrate to people this is what's happening and this is the development. And that's the power of arts and music education because they're going to be able to do that. And I think when you demonstrate that, I assure you, school leaders like nothing more than having their school elevated to the community, showing that they've achieved some really great things because it brings them uh, extra attention to improve their resources and make the families and the communities happy as well. And so I think that's something that I want to encourage folks who already do that as part of their work to really elevate it, because I think that's really important. Putting together ensembles is something that I think every member <laughs> of your organization does well. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's, you're right. It's expanding. I love, I love that, that analogy. So um, let's kind of wrap up. If you could, you know, what's your message to all of the music and arts educators out there um, on, on, you know, how valuable they really are uh, to the lives of children and to their schools and into their broader communities? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do think that um, drawing on what's going to be needed to once again bring resiliency back to the lives of young learners in school, for example, communities uh, and the state and the nation, right? The one thing that I've always found that's been a real power of healing for me was found in music. And I think that we forget that when we think about the trauma, there are going to be certain things that are going to heal communities, heal schools. And it's important to raise that as an aspect, right? And so I think just in the way that you would move uh, folks to buying into that concept, it also presents a real opportunity for building and broadening, right? I think the interdisciplinary conversation is going to have to grow in importance. I'd like to see that uh, play out more in conferences, right? Um, it'd be nice that if keynotes were coming in to talk about the integration of various disciplines to produce results. Um, and I think that's going to begin to just allow the educators themselves to use that same framework in the conversations that they're having at their schools. And then for us as a department, we need to be better about making sure that we identify the folks that need to be at the table uh, for decision making. And we forget, you know, there are other members of the workforce, the school leadership team that can really set strategic priorities and give direction to schools when direction is needed. And we've got to find our way to be able to do that. And I don't think we've done a good job, but the rebuilding that has to take place, the resources that are coming in are going to allow us to begin to elevate some of those things, right? I know right now the state has a very ambitious a proposal for investing in basic education to couple this with the federal resources. And the question that we keep getting is, are both necessary? Absolutely. Because like I mentioned at the beginning, that is how you're going to inspire innovation. That's how you're going to be able to breathe life into disciplines 
that have felt that they were not part of the conversation, right? And you will create belonging and that by itself will translate into an improved culture for learning for our students. When our educators feel like they have a part or a place uh, in the school and they don't have to continuously, and I think what you mentioned in your question is people have to, people feel compelled to continuously demonstrate their self-worth. <laughs> that's not good right. because that's not how you have a healthy approach to promoting a discipline, right? No educator should make that we feel. There's many other things that make education hard. It shouldn't have to be uh, in demonstrating your worth to the life and the education of a young learner, right? And so for me, those are a few things that I would offer up, Mark, as some food for thought for individuals. Well, uh, Secretary Ortega, thank you so much for taking some time to talk and for really all the work that you have been doing. Um, you know, this is not an easy time to take on the role uh, as Secretary <laughs> of Education. I don't think, uh, you know, uh, anyone envies you, but uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing. We, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, and, Mark. And I, I appreciate the trivia fact now that you are a high school drum major in Texas. <laughs> For two years. Two, two. All right. I want a picture of this. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> thanks for taking the time to talk today. Thank you. Again, thanks to Secretary Ortega for joining us today and for his continued support of arts education. And to all of you, thank you for joining us on PMEA's Take Note podcast presented by the Slippery Rock University Music Department.